Welcome to the Nancovers podcast. It's the 12th of February 2022 and I would like to start today's podcast by a beautiful quote by the author of a book that I haven't read yet but I hope I will re- read soon, uh, Atomic Habits. His name is James Clear and the quote goes, "Most things are not as difficult as they seem if you focus each day. However, giving one topic your full attention for an extended period of time is even harder than it seems over a long timeline the bottleneck is usually attention not ability end quote i think this is a beautiful quote and i personally resonate with it a lot because i feel um, you can get good at things and it's easy to get good at things if you put in the consistent work However the difficult thing is to pay your attention for an extended period of time to something that you hold meaningful that is where that is that that is what separates um, the people who reach excellence and the people who get good at things but are not really able to reach the excellence it's a beautiful quote and uh, i would love to read the book atomic habits by james clear and here we go on to the news for the day baby woo It's so good to stay um aware of what's happening in this world, aware of what's happening in the country and uh, it gives me immense pleasure to bring the news to you guys. I just wanted to start by saying this as well. And um thank you to all the new subscribers who have us listening and hasn't hasn't subscribed till now. I would uh, urge and uh, request you guys to hit the subscribe button and let's go. The first story I would like to discuss in today's episode is about parivarvad yes our prime minister spoke about how uh, there are a lot of political parties that are indulged in dynasty politics and this is actually a big issue in our uh, politics because uh, people like to get in power and then spread it to their families politics has become more about uh, taking care of families than taking care of uh, people this is very unfortunate and um, especially in the Punjab elections this is a very interesting news story written by Manraj Grewal Sharma from Chandigarh and the head ri- headline reads in run up to Punjab elections sons become poster boys for candidates across party lines while prime minister narendra modi may call dynasties the biggest enemies of democracy some candidates cutting across party lines are using the Punjab assembly polls to not so subtly introduce voters to their political heirs enter the industrial town of batala home to late poet shiv kumar batalvi you will be greeted by big hoardings of congress congress candidate ashwini shekri and his arch opponent bjp's fateh jung bajwa one feature common to both is the picture of their progenies on the posters While Shekri's posters have photos of his son Abhinav Bajwa Abhinav Bajwa is joined by his two sons Kanwar Pratap and Arjun Pratap in the neighboring constituency of Fatehgarh Churian Akali Dal candidate Lakpeer Singh Lodi Nangal has also ensured that his son Kanwar Sandeep Singh Sunny who's returned from Canada who's returned from Canada to campaign for his father gets pride of place on his hoardings I don't know what you guys think about this to be honest but I feel it is quite grassy for politicians to do this because uh, they send their kids to Canada and then they come back and then they put them on hoardings 
and uh, what is politics about politics is about serving the people or is it serving families um some may argue that it is important for politicians to make sure that their families are taken care of because they understand politics and their sons understand politics uh, more uh, than the common man however however i personally feel it's more of a matter of uh, giving a red carpet to politics while there are so many able people who might be doing a better job but at the same time i don't want to sound salty and i want to take the story for what it is um i want to know your thoughts on this is the same with his rival senior congress minister tript rajinder singh bajwa who has ensured a prominent place for his son ravi nandan bajwa on his hoardings earlier in december there was speculation that ravi chairman of gurdaspur zilla parishad may contest as an independent from batala where his father has done a lot of work but the congress high command reportedly persuaded him to sit back tript is now making sure that ravi remains in public gaze through his posters at dera baba nanak home to the kartarpur saheb corridor state home minister sukh sukhjinder singh randhawa ensures you cast a look at his only son uday veer singh randhawa who is still studying but occupies a place on the posters pehle pad le bhai uday veer singh randhawa an undergraduate is the youngest among these poster boys campaigning for their fathers many of these sons have taken baby steps into politics pritam kotbai sitting congress mla and candidate from bucho mandi near bhatinda who was booked in a chit fund scam in 2018 reportedly wanted to pass on the mantle to his son rupender pal singh a young advocate and youth congress member rupender may not have got the ticket but his father has put him on his hoardings jaspreet singh dilon sarpanch of arlibhan village near dera baba nanak says it's a new trend in the state quote they are clearly promoting their sons as their political successors it was never done so openly in the past end quote he says bupender pal singh member subordinate services selection board who also noticed this phenomena in the border belt of majha for the first time says it's just the candidate's way of saying quote there are so many of us to serve you <laughs> other like jaspal siddhu a journalist at bucho mandi call it the quote aap effect quote aap has more following amongst the youth This is a this is a clever way to attract youngsters among the voters but it could backfire as as it gives them the impression of perpetuating family rule he says politics runs in the family for the bajwas of batala satnam singh bajwa the father of fatehjung bajwa who switched from congress to bjp after his elder son rajya sabha mp pratap bajwa was given the family seat of kaidan was killed by terrorists in 1987 quote I have been campaigning since I was 10 years old says Fateh's younger son Arjun Pratap whose social media handles profile him as a supermodel with a business administration degree from Lancaster University United Kingdom Oh my god this is uh he's also been an actor and director in Bollywood He took his first steps into politics when he fought and won the Zilla Parishad polls from Sri Hargobindpur at the age of 25 in 2018 This is a good sign that at least young people are wanting to get into politics and they want to fight Zilla Parishad polls. It's a good sign. I would hope for more people to do this. I would hope for more youngsters to get into politics. However, it's kind of sad that it's easier for sons of established politicians to be able to get tickets and fight and win polls. 
Arjun Pratap, whose social media handles profile him as a supermodel with a business administration degree from Lancaster University. Okay. More recently, Arjun was in the eye of the storm when former Chief Minister Captain Amrinder Singh appointed him an inspector in the Punjab Police in June last year. But the appointment never came through due to stringent opposition from within. That's that's thankfully okay. Bajwa's elder son Kanwar Pratap, a postgraduate in economics from the London School of Economics, is generally is is general secretary of the Youth Congress and was appointed state chief of All India Jat Mahasabha's youth wing last year. Kanwar, who was first spotted as a campaigner when he used actor Sunny Deol's dialogues to campaign against him in the 2019 Lok Sabha polls in Gurdaspur, is now seeking votes for his father. Compared to them, Ashwani Sekri's son, Abhinav, an alumnus of the University of Wisconsin, is a relatively newcomer in the field. A serial entrepreneur based out of Delhi, Abhinav is now crisscrossing the bring- grimy batala on foot to get votes for his father, a three-time MLA who has fought seven assembly polls. A leader who did not want to wade into, his, into this, quote, unnecessary controversy, said the posters have been put up by his party workers. A market committee member at Goniara in Bucho Mandi, who decided not to campaign for Kotbai, rubbishes this explanation. Quote, party workers also have political ambitions. By openly flaunting their sons on hoardings, these leaders are sending a message that the top spot would always be reserved for the family. This is very disheartening. How can you say we are living in a free India? What are your thoughts on a story like this? I wonder what the sons of these politicians think themselves. Is it an obligation that they have to do, uh, that they have to go out and campaign for their fathers? Is it embarrassing for them to be on the posters? A lot of party workers are doing this for them. Although at the same time, their fathers want to make sure that their sons get a job. Uh, a son of an army officer will not get into will not get to go in, into the army just because he was the son of an army officer. This happens in business though. Thankfully, this doesn't happen in the army. Um, yes, because uh, you want to have merit. You want to have the best person uh, for the job. But in politics, in business, these things don't really work out. Um, I honestly don't have an opinion about this because I feel uh, a lot of times we do not understand the nuance behind why something is happening. And... Uh, these sons are, you know, sent to the best universities in the world and they come back and campaign for their fathers and they always have the option of going back. They always have the option of living in Canada or United Kingdoms or USA. So I just feel like um, maybe I do have an opinion. Sorry, I wouldn't say I don't because I feel uh, politics is something where you have to go and meet the people on the ground levels and you have to empathize with them and also understand where they come from and what you can do for them. And being the son of an established politician, I think, uh, needs a little bit of empathy. But at the same time, uh, that can be so disheartening for people who actually want to get inside politics, but are not able to because the right of passage is given to kids like these. Um, Let me know your thoughts in the comment section about this. Moving on to the UP polls. It is uh, quite an interesting story written by Malushri Seth. And it talks about how electricity is a big poll camp, big poll uh, topic for this elections. It's actually quite heartening to see um, real issues being discussed uh, in elections. And I think electricity is one of those issues which affects everybody on the ground level, right from the poor to the rich. 
making sure that electricity is available meant makes sure that people uh, reach their top potential and are able to do something in this 21st century electricity is important we would be nothing without electricity um one of the big poll topics this elections in uttar pradesh is electricity which is good to know it keeps coming up in speeches and manifestos and in what the voters say they expect of the government as up inches towards 24 hours supply the chorus is no more about quote 24 ghante bijli but also sasti bijli dar or free bijli cheap or free electricity what are your thoughts on free electricity i feel uh, some models have been taken by say the delhi government where they give you free electricity from 0 to 200 units and after that you are charged the basic amount for the total of the 200 units that can be an incentive for saving electricity but at the same time it could also be about uh, you know people getting zero uh, rupees zero bills and um, i i would want to do re- more research on how much of a toll does that take on electricity production but it could actually be a good thing free electricity the tariff the state has about 3 crore electricity consumers damn the consume consumer forum say the domestic electricity bill has more than doubled in 8 years in the state a major hike took place under the previous samajwadi party regime but the bjp government has also increased rates currently the tariff for consumers in up including fixed charges is rupees 100 110 per kilowatt per month with the rate rising as more power is used government go, going up rupees 7 rupees 7 kilowatt hours the last hike was in the 2018 2019 financial year while uttar pradesh power corporation limited can recommend a hike the decision lies with the uttar pradesh state electricity regulatory commission sources said a hike was recommended in 2020-21 but the commission turned it down with the commission being an autonomous body the gov- government must technically get a hike or cut cleared by it the demand to reduce tariffs considering the pandemic has been around for a while but the government acted only in january just before polls were announced so typical reducing the tariff by 50% for use of tube wells by farmers the promise The SP was the first to vow 300 units of quote free electricity to domestic consumers if its government came to power. SP chief Akhilesh Yadav even launched a quote registration campaign asking people to sign up for the scheme under the name on their electricity bills or using Aadhaar cards if they were now if they were new or probable consumers. The promise was part of the SP's manifesto released this week. along with the guarantee of quote free electricity for farm irrigation while the sp also promised 24 hours electricity earlier its leaders are now focusing more on the promise of 300 free units now the bjp also released its manifesto this week with the very with the very first sankalp on its paper being free electricity to farmers for irrigation for the next 5 years while in 2017 the bjp had promised 24 hour electricity to every household this time it did not mention this though the party has been claiming that the yogi adityanath government has been able to ensure 18 hours supply to rural and 24 hours to city areas the party appears to have given up another 2017 promise of subsidized electricity to the poor at the rate of 3 rupees 3 per unit for the first 100 units The Congress like 2017 has taken the middle path 
promising to reduce electricity bills by half. It has also promised to waive off pending arrears from the COVID period. Man, this waving off. Um, the fallout. As per experts, the SP's promise of free electricity up to 300 units, along with free electricity to farmers, would cost the exchequer over rupees. Boom, this is a big number. 25,000 crore per annum. Free electricity up to 300 units along with free electricity to farmers would co cost the exchequer over rupees 25,000 crore. So if the people take up the bait, they will have to pay cough up about 25,000 crore per annum, which is a lot of money. Avadesh Varma, president of the Uttar Pradesh State Power Consumer Forum, who has been fighting for reducing electricity rates for years, says, quote, in the recent past, Uttar Pradesh domestic electricity consumers have seen the maximum hike in electricity tariffs. Varma feels any government would find it hard to write off the charge given the amount involved. According to him, a better solution would be to reduce rates. Free power to farmers was a more practical promise, he adds. Quote, it would cost the exchequer, exchequer not more than 1,800 crore and would not be a problem. I would I would imagine these manifestos to be such a big problem because a party like Samajwadi party is offering up to 300 units of free electricity and the cost to the exchequer would be 25,000 crores. This just blows my mind away. It's amazing how the governments uh, that want to be in uh, the parties that want to be in power would want to make promises like these that are fisc fiscally not prudent at all. 25,000 crores could be going towards enriching the poor it could be going towards building infrastructure building schools hospitals all of these things but it is going to give free electricity up to 300 units which could have its own benefits let's be honest there are a lot of people whose incomes have been affected during the covid pandemic and they're not able to pay their electricity bills however i think this is a point of debate that needs to be had by people in general especially uh, voters from uttar pradesh uh, if there's anybody from Uttar Pradesh listening or across the world, let me uh, let me know what your thoughts are on free electricity and the cost it cost it has on the exchequer of uh, of a country, of a constituency, of a government. Now, moving on to some news from the Parliament, which I feel is of immense national importance. It talks about how only one fourth of the required number of Disha meetings are being taken place, which is uh, the District Development Coordination and Monitoring Committee, which is also known as DISHA. DISHA, is DISHA meetings are responsible for monitoring implementation of 43 government schemes and programs, including really, really important um, schemes like uh, NREGS, which is National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, and PMGSY, which is um, Prime Minister Gram Sadak Yojana. Yes. Schemes like this, which are of imp such important social value, are uh, not the meetings are not being held, and I think this is an important story because our parliamentarians need to do their jobs. So um, yes, I would like to reach the, read this story by Hari Krishna Sharma. It says, only one fourth of the required number of Disha meetings have taken place. Union Rural Development Minister Giriraj Singh informed Lok Sabha on Friday. District Development Coordination and Monitoring Committee, also known as DISHA, is responsible for monitoring the implementation of 43 government schemes and programs, including NREGS and PMGSY. Prime Minister Gram Sadak Yojana. Headed by an MP elect, 
elected from the district a disha is required to meet at least once in a quarter in a year at least four meetings of disha are required to be held however many mps have complained that disha meetings are not taking place in their constituencies this is so sad this is important and it's not happening on friday when aimim mp syed imtiaz jalil raised this issue during zero hour lok sabha speaker om birla asked the rural development minister to take a review after consulting all the concerned departments so that disha meetings are held and all officials attend the meetings singh who was present at the time in the house said the issue was also raised by congress mp adhir ranjan choudhury as well as other members quote today I say with a heavy heart that only one fourth of the required number of disha meetings are taking place in the country," Singh said. Earlier, raising the issue, Jalil had said that disha meetings were not taking place in his constituency, Aurangabad, because MPs Rao Saheb, Dada Rao Danve, and Bhagwat Kisho Kishan Rao Karad were not able to find time for these meetings, as both have become ministers. um this is the first time i'm hearing about disha's disha meetings which is district development coordination monitoring committee and i feel if these are not being held it is important that they're held because what is the point of having government schemes if the meetings are not being held meetings help i mean let's be honest a lot of us uh, might be coming from the corporate sector and corporate meetings are so useless but at the same time it is also important for uh, understanding what is the progress and what are the steps that are needed for proper implementation of government schemes that affect real people poor people uh, schemes like narega and pmgsy gram sadak yojana imagine living in a village where there is no road connectivity you run a small business but you're not able to get customers because and you're not able to have any supply chain going on for yourself because there is no sadak because your constituency mps are not meeting and not doing their jobs because they have become ministers I think it's important it's an important story and I would want the politicians involved and people and the officials involved to at least make sure that these meetings are held and that development takes place. Moving on to an important news regarding press freedom and releasing journalists which I feel is important because uh, you got to let journalists do their jobs especially the ones who are actually doing a good job. um i do not know these journalists and their work to be honest but this is a story that i feel is important and i will read it out in lok sabha shashi tharoor demands release of journalist journalists shah gul kapan to preserve press freedom congress mp shashi tharoor on friday urged union home minister amit shah to facilitate court the immediate and unconditional release of journalist fahad shah sajad gul and sidiq kapan in the interest of preserving freedom of press in india raising the issue in lok sabha during zero hour tharoor tharoor said that while shah and gul were arrested on charges of sedition and under the public safety act respectively in jammu and kashmir kapan has been in court prolonged deten- detention under the unlawful activities act in uttar pradesh a lot of journalists have been put uh, behind bars because of these acts which are very arbitrary to be honest if you go deep into it it needs to be understood quote journalists deserve to be able to do their job safely without fear or arrest or harassment the supreme court too has recognized the importance of dissent in a vibrant democracy stating that a free and independent press is a vital pillar of democracy 
which supports an informed and democratically engaged citizenry and allows those in power to be held accountable more meaningfully tharur said he said india has been named among the five most dangerous countries in the world for journalists at present national conference mp hussain masood said also backed tharur's demand meanwhile bsp mp danish ali sought the reopening of universities and referred particularly to jamia millia islamia and aligarh muslim university he also said the process to appoint a new vc for amu should be set in motion um under the article 341 for scheduled castes it is clearly mentioned that if they convert to any other religion their status as sc will okay this is uh, unrelated but i really really hope that these journalists are freed and they are given the freedom to pursue um their jobs really because i feel uh, journalists are important to make sure that power is questioned the powerful are questioned and a lot of times uh, governments will attack journalists because they are attacking the politicians and this is like a fight that keeps going on but politicians are definitely a lot more powerful and a lot of times acts like the prevention of prevention of um, unlawful activities and public safety act and all of these uh, sedition acts are used against journalists so that uh, they are quelled their voices are quelled um i hope uh, that the journalists if they have if they haven't done anything wrong let's be honest about that as well a lot of times uh, uh things are not put into nuance and we i have never heard of these people before fahad shah sajad gul and siddiq kapun but if there is some meat to the story and if they haven't done anything wrong they should be freed moving on i would like to read an editorial written by shivani naik about the incident i would call it an incident of china parading galwan soldier at winter games that guy that soldier who was part of killing our army people was given the torch to bear for the winter olympics which i feel is extremely shameful which also led to india diplomatically boycotting the event and um yeah this is this is an antic by china to symbolize to the world and to india particularly that they are having none of it but at the same time i think it's also important for india to make sure that we do not take these antics as something you know that 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 would put us down from china and um it's important to make sure that we do put our voice through that this is unacceptable and i would like to read this because i think it's a story of importance and uh, here it goes one stab too many getting zifabao a pla regiment commander who was involved in china's galwan valley border confrontation with india to run the pre winter games relay as torch bearer isn't merely a blurring of politics and sports by the host nation it is a brazen breach of the principle of political neutrality exactly it is a brazen breach of the principle of political neutrality that china and the international olympic committee have preached about continuously in the lead up to the games it is extremely shameful what china did i'm just uh, getting away from the article right now it is taking india's neutrality uh, it is taking india's stance as um, to as for granted and you know doing something like this is extremely shameful political neutrality the principle of political neutrality was breached for this short short of welcoming foreign athletes at the airport with placards of rule 
of the Olympic Charter, which prohibit them from demonstrating or displaying political, religion, or racial propaganda. Beijing and the IOC did everything to intimidate athletes into silence. But Chinese official, officials don't seem to have re- read the rules themselves. Chilling athletes into silence by spelling out the jeopardy by binding Olympic rules and the Chinese judicial system is the sort of controlled self-censorship that can tunnel athletes into sticking to sport. But getting state media like Global Times to cackle and crow about a military commander who was in recent combat with India and parading him in a torch relay, perhaps for the benefit of a domestic audience. Flies in the face of China's obligation to sanitize sport of any whiff of politics. That was partisan politics literally running with a boastful beacon. After giving the world COVID and giving India so much tension at the borders, they do this. China needs to be, we need to keep an eye on China. The world needs to keep an eye on China. While countries have always put put soft cells on cultural nationalistic propaganda on show at opening ceremonies, and been indulged by the IOC, Fabao's is a blatant and curiously undignified flaunting. War wounds on either soldiering side are far too real and honourable to promenade around a jogger's space for a mere sporting spectacle. It's an unwritten line of civility crossed as sporting hosts. India might not be travelling with the largest contingent to the Games, But political point scoring against a military opponent on the sidelines of an Olympic Games by drawing on confrontational symbolism as a measure of bravery is frankly indefensible. If it is unnecessary for athletes to drift away from their job at hand to win and use the podium to express their concerns over myriad issues in China, surely it would count as entirely avoidable for the hosts to use the games as a rampway for battle wounds. India responded with a last-minute diplomatic boycott. After committing to show up and after committing to show up and stand by China and Russia at the BRICS summit, it declared that its diplomatic presence was untenable and its envoy envoy declined the invitation to the ceremony after the torchbearer provocation. India also pulled out of telecasting the opener. A US Senate Foreign Relations Committee member dubbed Beijing's choice of military commander as a torchbearer as, quote, shameful, but the world might, might well let this slide. Because China. Commercial considerations have leashed the biggest powers from calling out China for this contempt. UK's tripling trade deficit with China post-Brexit and other Western economies dependence mean athletes in Beijing are shown of protection in case they choose to voice any thoughts unpalatable to the hosts. A senior official of the Beijing Organizing Committee and an Olympic champion, Yang Yang, was quoted from a news conference last week saying, quote, Athletes need to be responsible for what they say. It is not uncommon for athletes belonging to armed forces to turn up at the Olympics to represent their countries in competition. But it is entirely looked down on if territorial tensions and scars are directly dragged onto a sporting field, in this case as part of relaying the game's flame. Sport is no stage for militarized cosplay, never mind the countless war analogies it riffs off. The IOC dropped all pretense of this being solely about sport, 
when Thomas Bach at pre-event news meet declared for the benefit of ski lift and snow cannon manufacturers, quote, the boom in China will change the global winter sports industry. All the companies that are mainly based in the Alps and North America will benefit greatly from the development of winter sports in China. It is well known that several struggling companies are invested in building the ski resort winter economy of China. In one of this in one of his most absurd pleas to athletes to say nothing unsavory and political and stay confined to the sporting lane, Bach involves Shakespeare. Quote, if an actor is engaging in the theater playing Hamlet, then nobody expects expects him to voice his political opinion. And the same is true there for athletes. A rather unfortunate reference given the play's unsilenceable ghost and perhaps theatre's most famous siloquy. Oh damn man, that's a beautiful word. S-O-L-I-L-O-Q-U-Y. I've never heard this. To be or not to be was the question for India's diplomatic dilemma. A Chinese soldier from Galwan in the torch run was one stab too many well after the poison dripped into the air. Um, this was actually, uh, it was quite an article all over the place, to be honest. Uh, no offense, Shivani, but um, I think we need to be more sure of the fact that uh, something uh, these things are not entertained. China needs to be shown that this is not the right thing to do, man, but they do not give a damn because it's such a big economy and uh, some of the biggest powers in the world have deficits of trade with China and China is an exporter. China is uh, a growing superpower. It is the second biggest economy in the world. That is a reality. And they have a very tight control over what sort of information is being spread. And they do not care about international rules and uh, diplomatic ways to protocols and all of these things. They will give the torchbearer of uh, of the winter sports to a soldier from Galwan breaching the principle of political neutrality for the Olympic Games, they do not give a damn. So I think it's it's high time that we start to strengthen ourselves and keep an eye out for a country like China that is extremely rogue, led by a dictator Xi Jinping. And uh, the more I talk about China, sometimes I feel I'm scared of going to China, man, because they're their surveillance is not just domestic, but it's also international. So I might be being listened to. I hope they don't put me in jail, bro. Don't put me in jail, China. But India as a country, India as a diplomatic nation needs to make sure that we do not take these uh, these uh, symbolic gestures by a strong nation like China for what they are. But we also need to read between the lines and make sure that we give it back to them in a systematic and also diplomatic way. Moving on, I'd like to read an editorial written by Shah Alam Khan, who is a writer and professor, Department of Orthopedics, All India Institute of Medical Sciences, New Delhi, Ames. Uh, sorry, he is a professor and department at the Department of Orthopedics at Ames. Shah Alam Khan has written about uh, the state of health in the state of Uttar Pradesh, who, which has gone to polls now. And uh, I think this is going to be an extremely uh, enlightening editorial. So here it goes. State of ill health. There appears to be a political determination to distract voters from the alarming health crisis in Uttar Pradesh. Through the next, next few weeks, 
the country's most populous state will vote for a new government unfortunately besides being the most populous uttar pradesh also happens to be in the company of the quote disease states in the country i mean with the amount of population there is uh, this is not very surprising but at the same time i feel uh, a state like uttar pradesh should do better uh, because people need to do better in the recently published results of the nfhs which is the national family health survey 5 the state has done even worse than conflict zones like jnk it therefore appears that the poor showing of the state in the second wave of covid-19 was not by chance but a fallout of government negle- neglect of healthcare this is even more evident in the ongoing election campaign where the narrative is set by the incumbent regime and no one wants to discuss the quote health of the people extremely important traditionally health and education have never been points of discussion in electoral campaigns in india but with the ongoing covid-19 pandemic it is imperative that there is clear accountability for death and disease in the wake of the devastation unleashed by covid-19 even the most even the most far right regimes like brazil and philippines have begun to talk about health of their people the nfhs 5 has revealed some staggering facts about india's perpetual health crisis this despite india being a signatory to the Millen- millennium development goals of the united nations general assembly in 2000 An evaluation of the NFHS 5 results from UP reveals how deep the muck is and how urgent the need to fix accountability. According to the NFHS 5, the infant mortality rate of UP is 50.4 per 1000 live births. This is poorer than even the most violent conflict zones in the world. The IMR for IMR which is infant mortality rate The IMR for Syria is 16 per 1000 live births and for Iraq it's 20 per 1000 live births. Damn. The under 5 mortality rate for UP is even more d- dismal at 59.8 per 1000 live births. This is in contrast to the under 5 mortality of 9.8 per 1000 live births for Jammu and Kashmir in NFHS 5. The figure is 16 per 1000 live births for Syria. Both IMR and under 5 mortality rates are amongst the most important sensitive indicators of the health of a population. For UP these figures are nowhere near the sustainable development goals 3 target for 2030. They're at 59 uh, they're at 50 and they need to get to a 3 for the sustainable development goals to be met for 2030 which is to ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for people of all ages. Even as we cry a river on UP's poor health indicators in the NFHS 5, other tragic maladies directly affect the well-being and health of the people of the state. The NFHS 5 data shows that 39.7% of children under the age of 5 are stunted. Oh my god, 39.7% of children under the age of 5 years are stunted. A whopping 66.4% of children between the ages of 6 to 59 months are anemic. This figure for anemia has worsened from 63.4% in NFHS 4/15/16-2015-16. The 2021 Global Nutrition Report reveals that the that the incident incidence of stunting in children aged less than 5 years in South Sudan which has the worst malnutrition in all of Africa is 31.3%. 
As per the NFHS 5, 50.4% of women in the reproductive age, 15 to 49 years in UP. How is 15 a reproductive age group? It should be 18 to 49, right? Anyway, in UP have anemia. In 2019, South Sudan had 35.6% anemic women within the reproductive age group. Uttar Pradesh, thus, has more stunted children and more anemic women than probably any region on the planet with such a significant cohort of people. Anemia and malnutrition are the harbingers of chronic disease and death. No wonder, among all states, UP has the largest number of tuberculosis cases and is responsible for over 20% of the total TB cases notified in the country. In 2020, just over 4 lakh cases of TB were detected in UP. This was in contrast to the 1.23 lakh TB cases notified in the neighboring state of Bihar during the same year. Bihar was known to have some of the worst TB statistics in the decades gone by. More worryingly, the incidence of multi-drug resistant TB, MDRTB, is second highest in UP with 4.53% newly diagnosed cases of TB being MDR. Multi-drug resistance, damn. The future health implications of this high percentage of drug-resistant TB is anyone's guess. Epidemics also make frequent appearances in UP. The 2017 deaths of children in a government hospital in Gorakhpur due to acute encephalitis syndrome is a case to ponder as it symbolizes the poisonous mix of susceptibility of the malnourished and brutal neglect on the part of the state. Epidemics of AES are not uncommon in UP. The number of child deaths in previous years due to AES was 5,850 in 2014, 6,917 in 2015, and 6,121 in 2016. It's only growing. Acute encephalitis syndrome is only growing in the UP. Damn. Epidemics of dengue and malaria are also a common occurrence. In November 2021, the number of dengue cases in Uttar Pradesh had crossed the 23,000 mark for the year 2021, making it the worst outbreak situation in the state in several years. This was the highest number of dengue cases reported in UP since 2016. I refrain from mentioning the death and devastation seen in the wake of second wave of COVID-19 in the state. As mentioned earlier, in India, Health doesn't traditionally figure in the imagination of political class. The people are wrongly made to believe that health is their own responsibility. Following the pandemic, health discussions have begun to take center stage in this country. But it appears that political determination is to induce a collective amnesia about death and devastation, particularly following the brutal second wave of COVID-19. Memories of medical neglect and death fix accountability and accountability affects electoral prospects. As the election campaigning gains pace in UP, we are hearing more and more about temples, mosques, quote, love jihad and hijabs. The health crisis silently grows bigger as we are distracted from asking questions that matter. The voters of UP should realize that somewhere in the vast hinterlands of the state of Ram, as the irresponsible finish speaking about love jihad, hijab or the mandir, a few hundred more men, women and children would have taken their last, last breaths due to malnutrition, AES, TB or anemia. 
um i really hope that the state of uttar pradesh has a better future because of this uh, election that's happening over there um it is easy to pin the blame on one government i feel it's a collective failure of many many governments that have not put health at the center stage of issues when it comes to taking care of people this all goes back to how much accountability are our politicians ready to take when it comes to statistics like like these i hope and pray for a better future for uttar pradesh and i hope that there are lesser deaths due to malnutrition acute acute anemia uh, like acute uh, encephalitis syndrome tuberculosis and anemia which seems to be a very very big issue in the state of uttar pradesh so this is my appeal to all the people living there make sure that you make health and electricity and important topics the center stage issues instead of uh, distractive issues uh, relating around religion and all of those things now moving on to news of inter- of immense international importance and something that i've been tracking and i will keep tracking which is the russia ukraine united states nato feud which could easily turn into the next world war um which is an extremely sad development but it is happening as we speak russia could invade any time says blinken which who is the head of secretary like who's the head of international diplomacy for the united states um urges americans to leave the nation ukraine war warns that it is almost fully surrounded by hostile forces man it's anyone guess it's anyone's guess what the future for this uh, particular situation is and um yeah i would like to read more on this according to the new york times which is a media house from the united states let's be let's be very clear about this as well because a lot of times united states has uh, has been guilty of stoking a lot of fears and insecurities um in countries like russia uh, but we never know if russia actually decides to attack ukraine which ha- which it has done in the past uh, crimea peninsula was taken over by the russians without any uh, opposition whatsoever from ukraine so this could happen again and uh, this could easily escalate into a war let's see russia could invade ukraine during the current beijing winter olympics so americans should leave the eastern european country immediately us secretary of state antony blinken said friday Blinken did not detail the reasons behind the State Department's latest security alert that calls on all American citizens to leave Ukraine. Quote, simply put, we continue to see very troubling signs of Russian escalation, including new forces arriving at the Ukrainian border, Blinken said in Melbourne, Australia. Quote, we're in a window when an invasion could begin anytime and to be clear, that includes during the Olympics. Blinken added the Olympic games are scheduled to end on February 20 damn Russia has amassed over 100000 troops near Ukraine it says it has no plans to invade but wants the west to keep Ukraine and under wants to keep Ukraine and other former soviet countries out of nato satellite images collected on wednesday and thursday reveal new develop new deployment and positioning of russian military equipment and troops in multiple locations around ukraine including crimea western russia and belarus adding to an already ominous build up that has fueled invasion fears 
Ukraine's military warned on Friday that Russian-backed separatists in the country's east are conducting military exercises, completing a near encirclement of Ukraine by hostile forces. This is a statement by the Ukraine's military, so it has to be taken for what it is. The drills tested the forces' preparation for live fire operations, driving quote, artillery, tank and armored vehicles in field exercises. The Ukraine statement said, The statement said some units of the force were put on their highest level of alert and that senior Russian military officials were observing the activity. To the south, the Russian Navy announced on Thursday the closure of large swaths of the Black Sea and Sea of Azov for live fire exercises by its fleet that will effectively blockade Ukrainian ports. Wow. To the east, the army of Russian-backed separatists in two enclaves in eastern Ukraine, the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, was put on partial alert and ordered to conduct field exercises, Ukraine's military intelligence agency said Friday in a statement. Even President Biden on Thursday warned Americans to leave Ukraine, saying that US troops would not be dispatched to retrieve them should Russia invade. You're on your own, bro. Quote, American citizens should leave should leave now, Biden said in an interview to NBC's Lester Holt that aired on Thursday evening, adding that there was no scenario that could prompt him to send troops to res- re- rescue Americans. We're dealing with one of the largest armies in the world. This is a very different situation and things could go crazy quickly. It's such a weird way to put it, like things could go crazy quickly. Is he like some kind of warmonger uh, who is talking crazy? Um, I really hope this doesn't escalate into a war. Europe as a continent needs to sit down on a table and talk about this. There is so much ambiguity about what is the role of Ukraine and Ukraine being added to NATO, which is an insecurity of Russia. Diplomatic efforts have been made by Germany, France and Britain to try and talk to Russia. But at the same time, this is the insecurity of Russia that um, former Soviet Union countries like Ukraine, if they are added to the NATO, then that could add to uh, Russia being cornered by NATO forces. So, um, yeah, this this might as well could turn into a very, very bad situation, especially after the end of the Winter Olympics in China. Uh, post February 20. Let's see how this develops and I hope that war is not what happens. Moving on to a story that gives me a lot of optimism rather than uh, talking about war that's happening in the world. Uh, Scientists in the United Kingdom have managed to produce the largest amount of energy so far from a nuclear fusion reaction. Nuclear fusion reactions are the same uh, reactions as the same process process that makes the sun and all other stars shine and emit energy. This this result is being seen as a major breakthrough in the ongoing global efforts to produce a fusion nuclear reactor. This is an effort that's been going on for many many years and it still hasn't like let it still hasn't been achieved but uh, this is a big uh, development in the efforts to produce a fusion nuclear reactor. All current nuclear reactors are based on fission processes, in which the nucleus of a heavier atom is split into those of lighter elements in a controlled manner. This process is accompanied with the release of large amounts of energy. Fusion is the opposite process, 
in which nuclei of relatively lighter atoms, typically those of hydrogen, as are fused to make the nucleus of a heavier atom. Much more energy is released in the fusion process than fission. The fusion of atoms of two heavier isotopes of hydrogen, deuterium and tritium, for example, to form a helium nucleus produce four times as much energy as is released during the fission of a uranium atom, the kind of which we see in our nuclear reactors. The quest for fusion energy. Trying to harness energy from fusion reaction is not a new endeavor. Scientists have been making efforts to build a fusion nuclear reactor for several decades, but the challenges, the challenges are high. Fusion is possible only at, a very, uh, only at very high temperatures, of the order of a few hundred million degrees Celsius. Damn! In the order of a few hundred million degrees Celsius. The kind of temperature that exists at the core of the sun and stars. Recreating such extreme temperatures is no easy task. The materials that will make up the reactor, too, need to be able to withstand such amounts of heat. There are several other complications. At such high temperatures, matter exists only in the plasma state, where atoms break up into positive and negative ions during the excessive heat. Plasma, which has a tendency to expand very fast, is extremely difficult to handle and work with. I can only imagine. With such high millions of degrees of Celsius, how are they even doing this? But scientists, man, take a bow. But the benefits of fusion reactions are immense. Apart from generating much more energy, fusion produces no carbon emissions. The raw materials are in su sufficient supply, produces much less radioactive waste compared to fission, and is considered much safer. Over the years, scientists have been able to draw up the plan for a fusion nuclear reactor. It is called ITER, International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor and is being built in southern France, with the collaboration of 35 countries, including India, which is one of the seven partners, alongside the European Union, the United States, Russia, Japan, South Korea, and China. Several small-scale fusion reactors are already being used for research. The one that produced this week's new record in energy generation is based at the Culham Center for Fusion Energy, just outside of Oxford in England. During this record-breaking experiment, the reactor produced 11 megawatts of energy over a 5-second period, which is actually quite a lot. The ITER project, International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. Fusion is considered to be the future of energy. It is supposed to liberate the world from the perennial quest for more and more efficient sources of energy. A very small amount of raw material deuterium and tritium nuclei to begin with, can produce very large amounts of energy in a clean manner. It is also being seen as an answer to the problem of climate change. In fact, in its early stages, fusion was also seen as an answer to the problem of climate change because it produces zero emissions. The climate crisis, however, has deteriorated rapidly and needs urgent attention, while a practical fusion reactor is still decades away. Building a fusion reactor has not been easy. The ITER project began in 1985 and the deadline for its first experimental run has been extended several times. 
According to the current timeline, it is expected to become operational only in 2035. Right now, the reactor is in the machine assembly phase. Over 10 million parts being manufactured and tested in the seven member countries have to be transported, assembled and integrated. Still, ITER is only an experimental project. The energy it will produce, about 500 megawatts, would not be in this form of electricity that can be used. It will be a technology demonstration machine that will enable the building of futuristic fusion devices that can be run as normally as the fission reactors today. The deployment of fusion energy for electricity generation for our everyday needs might take another few decades after the ITER becomes operational. India joined the ITER project in 2005. The Institute for Plasma Research in Ahmedabad, a laboratory under the Department of Atomic Energy, is the lead institution from the Indian side participating in the project. As a as a as damn as a member country, India is building several com components of the ITER reactor while also carrying out a number of experiments and research and development activities related to the project. This is extremely interesting. And uh, I hope that we are able to have fusion energy for the future because it creates zero carbon emissions and could be the solution for climate change. Although sometimes I really feel like the solutions that we create for our problems end up creating more problems. And um, yeah, I really hope that this is not one of those things. And we need to give a little bit of uh, appreciation to the scientists who are working day and night to make sure that these machines work so that our humanity can generate energy and is not dependent on burning coal anymore. And this is where I would like to end this episode of the Nancoverse podcast. I hope you got information that makes your day better. This is my endeavor. And I would really, really urge everyone to click the subscribe button if you haven't already and suggest this podcast to your friends. And thank you so much for listening. You can also find this podcast, uh, the audio version of this podcast on Spotify. Uh, do uh, give us ratings there as well. And I want to wish everyone a great, great, great day and a great week and a great month and a great year and life ahead. Stay hydrated. Give people around you lots of hugs and much love. Jai Hind.